Welcome to the Control Alt Azure podcast. I'm Yusuf. And I'm Tobias. Join us for a journey in the cloud. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of Control Alt Azure. Today's episode is sponsored by ScriptRunner. If you use PowerShell in your organization, you should check out their free PowerShell security ebook. It contains everything you need to know about PowerShell security, and the link is in the show notes, as usual. So it's a new year, 2022. This is the first episode of the new year, and we're excited to be back. So, you know, as usual, we talk about what we've been doing lately, and then we kick off the discussion for the, uh, for the episode. So on, on my side, you know, we're recording this exactly four days into the new year, and I'm still enjoying my time off. So I have two weeks now uh, for the winter holiday to uh, just relax with the family. So we've had some good family time, dinners, and meeting with the closest circle of friends. I've spent exactly zero hours in front of the computer, except for this very recording today. So I blame Yusuf for that. And then I'm back into the analog world with the family for a bit. So the coastline froze where I live. So we ventured out a bit with the family on the ice so the kids could explore. But perhaps mostly it was me who wanted to explore because the kids were complaining that they were freezing. And so was was Helena, my partner. And I was thoroughly enjoying being outside, you know, with my hiking boots and, and the backpack. I had a one-year-old in a backpack on my back and the four-year-old was on a, uh, on a stroller. And we went out on the ice and everyone was freezing cold except for me. And I thought it was really fun, but nobody else did. So yeah, some family adventures on this side. So I, I really hope the coastline freezes over again, and then perhaps we'll make sure the kids get even more clothing on so they can actually bear with me. It was a, a pretty fun thing to do because the, the coastline here, just to be clear, we don't walk out you know, on the open sea frozen so you can fall down because the coastline here for a thousand meters is knee, knee deep, right? So if, if the ice would break, you would be down to your knees only. So it's a, it's a very safe place to uh, to be for the family and, and including the kids. And you can go ice skating and all these kind of fun things as well. So a lot of people played hockey and, and stuff like that. So next time, bundle perhaps a bit more clothing, you know, maybe put them in a, in a sheep's fur or something just to keep them warm. Uh, and then we'll go out exploring again. But now it's 10 degrees above Celsius. So everything is obviously not frozen anymore. Um, so I hope that will come back, which it usually does around. February, March timeframe. So that's that's on me. So I'm here, of course, with UC today again into the new year. What's up for you? Hey, Toby. I recall that the coastline for you is, is fairly shallow. So I, I would imagine it freezes fairly quickly this time of the year. I live on the coastline as well, but it's super duper deep because it's the open sea immediately next to my house. So we haven't been to the ice just yet, but I think this week will be the first week we can actually venture on the ice with the kids and then then see how it goes. So just like for me, it's it's been a holiday for me for a couple of weeks now, and I think I still have one more week to go. And one of the things I've been doing is picking up on my old habits, because when you have more time during the day, you don't have to work. You can sort of venture back to the old habits that you perhaps lost partially last year. And for me, that's been reading more books. So I usually have a couple of books that I'm, I'm progressing through, but perhaps not on a daily basis. So I've, I've been 
picking up on that to try to read every evening. And at the moment, I am reading um, the book The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. So it's a business leadership book, if you will. And I, I think it's a classic by now, but I, I haven't read that much Sinek overall. I would say it's it's pretty good. There's a lot of interesting and useful bits here and there. But then there are also a lot of concepts that I would say are much more challenging to focus on when your company is just getting started, like the one that I have. But even then, it's it's decent and, and a rewarding read. And I would perhaps recommend everybody, if you have time, pick up and read more books. Yeah, that's a good advice. So this is episode 115 already, and it's about taking the Azure load testing service for a spin. And I, I think we mentioned Azure load testing in, in one of the episodes, in one of the Azure update episodes when it was released in preview, and we promised to take that for a spin. So Toby, what is it and why should I care? Uh, good question. and. You know, I, I'm super excited about this service. So the uh, um, Azure load testing service, it's still in preview as of this recording, but I think most of the things that we walk through today is going to stay true also when it's not in preview, uh, with the exception that there might be some more services or connections to the service available or things like that. But the, the concept we're talking about now will remain the same. So what is it? Uh, well, it's a way for you to stress test your applications. And this is really to learn how the applications behave under stress, right? And, and this is key to scaling any type of workload, especially APIs and web apps where you have an influx of users. So this is a cloud-based load testing platform. And I don't know if you recall, but in the past inside of Visual Studio, you had the uh, Visual Studio uh, web tests and load testing tools or templates that you could use for a project. Then you can record a couple of steps that were performed and then you can run them uh, you know, in Azure DevOps or from Visual Studio or from you know, any other load testing capabilities. And there was also uh, some, I don't recall the exact name, but like cloud-based load tests in Azure. So for a web app, you could say, start a cloud-based load test. And that was specific for the web app. And then it would spin up like virtual users for the web app and try to hit it and, and you know, visit the web app. That service was deprecated some time ago as well as those old templates inside of Visual Studio. I, I think Visual Studio 2019 was the last version that had them, possibly 2017, I don't know. I'm on Visual Studio 2022 as we speak, and they're not part of that. So it's a very welcome change because I, I thought, given the communication from Microsoft you know, about the cloud testing, they said, you need to go use something else like Apache JMeter or you know, any of the third-party services that offer load testing because we're not doing that anymore. So I'm very happy that now Azure has this natively built in Azure load testing service. So this is a, a kind of a, offers you a great view of the client and server metrics. Uh, so what happens during uh, stress or peak load and it in integrates with your CID, CD pipeline. So if you want to execute a new load testing when you make a new merge into your main branch or on every commit for that matter, or you know, in specific, specific situations, you can automate a lot of that as well. And you can enable developers to uh, you know, create these tests and then you can upload them into the app service or your operations team can do that, uh, you know, depending on the structure of your teams and company. 
it's also billed as any other Azure resource. So you now don't need to pay any extra for any other load testing service, like any third-party load testing service. And I'm one of those who used a third-party load testing service for, for quite some time because Microsoft said, we're deprecating our cloud load tests for web apps and we're not supporting the templates anymore in Visual Studio. We're not going to offer you any way to actually build load tests, uh, which is okay. And then we just ventured outside of the realm of Microsoft into a third-party company uh, who then could provide us with load testing. What I really like about this is that everything is integrated already into what you already have in Azure. So when you run a load test, you can say, oh, by the way, connect this to the application insights that is connected to my application. So when you run the load test, you also get metrics coming out of the backend. You do not get that with a third-party load testing service because then you hammer a website with maybe 50 users at the same time, and then you get metrics say, oh, the response time is going up, the error rate is going up either linear or exponentially, but that's the kind of data you get. You get that here as well, but you also can correlate exceptions happening on the backend now because you can just say, well, connect to my app insight or connect to my Azure storage account or connect to this or connect to that. So you can now connect your storage accounts, Kubernetes clusters, uh, app insights, web apps, and, and all kinds of things to the load test. And when it runs, you can pull out the metrics from those services for the same time window that you executed the load test, which means you get a million more data points than with any third-party tool. So that's one of the main reasons why this is super cool, uh, but also extremely important. So for me, I operate and design and architect cloud solutions, and we offer them as SaaS services. This is something that I need to have in my toolbox. And I've been managing with these third-party applications and services for a while, but this is going to make me drop all of those and just go back to native Azure and get everything fully integrated. So, you know, the obvious question here is, well, why do I want to use it right now? The, one of the reasons is what I just said. And then just like we discussed in the case engineering episode a while back, you have to design all the systems you have to be resilient. So you have resilience, reliance, performance, and all of these are key aspects of any scalable application in the cloud today. And for example, we expect to have a search during Black Friday. And then you can stay ahead and experiment and stress test your application, either in production or your QA system or staging environment. Uh, and then you can stay ahead of time to ensure that you can handle the expected load or handle the unexpected load for that matter, because you might not be ready with your finger clicking the button and say, hey, now the load is going to come in, let's scale up. But your auto scaling needs to work. So, so it's a very common thing to say, let's test my application's automatic scaling. And, and this is also a very nice thing or ensuring uh, you know, your monitoring, logging, alerting, and signals work. So for example, can your operations team or DevOps resources uh, handle the incoming alerts? So if you get normally five or 10 alerts in a day or five or 10 alerts per hour that are critical or actionable, will you now get 10,000, right? It, can you handle it? Can you, when you see the peak load coming in, can you actually still make things actionable or do you need to take action? These are things you can really easily test when you stress test the system. And then, you know, can you still read the logs and the metrics properly with a heavily increased traffic rate? Or does it become nonsense? Because I've also seen this, and I've seen this in, in our own applications as well, that logging, when it was in, implemented, might be a, a great idea how it was logging things. But then when the traffic exponentially increased, it was extremely difficult to filter out 
specific logs from, from the log system. On our end, we figured that out because we did load testing. Uh, but if we wouldn't have, and then we got a heavy load and then need, needed to troubleshoot or check something in the logs, it would have been a nightmare. So there, there are many reasons why this is important. So like, can you still easily track all the signals that's important to keep track of? For example, a user performed a specific action. Uh, like someone added something to a, a shopping cart in your web app or someone performed, performed this specific action or someone downloaded something or whatever. And can you make this still actionable? And can you still track all of these signals the way you want to? Uh, whether that is putting them on a dashboard or getting email alerts, webhooks or whatever, doesn't really matter. It's just about testing that your workflow still works when you get like an explosion in traffic. And if you can test all of these things and test your systems, then, then you know that you're in a good position when that, when that happens. And one other thing I really like is that you can really ensure that your app is fault tolerant. Uh, so we don't get like an exponential increase in exceptions. And one thing here that I, you know, by experience uh, have seen many times is say you have 10 exceptions when a user signs in and uses your application. And perhaps these 10 exceptions per user is expected for now caused by either a third-party component you're using or something trivial like uh, not being able to use the correct font on a button. You know, something that is non critical application errors, but still flagged as an exception by a component or something that you're using. So, you know, again, 10 exceptions per assigned in user, just to put a number to something. Now, when you get 50 users, you would want that exception and error rate to be linear. So you should have 500 exceptions in total, you know, it, just doing the magic with the numbers. It should be 50 times 10, right? What we usually see here is exponential exceptions happening. So the more users you get, the more exceptions you get per user, per session, because the system perhaps is not natively designed for that scale or doesn't handle it very, very well. And this can be exceptions from not having the correct retry logic or not being able to rely on the throttling patterns uh, for a specific service. It could be intermittent outages. It could be you know, not as fault tolerant as you, as you thought, uh, it could be dropping messages from a message queue. Could be whatever. All of these things are super important when you design like cloud native applications. So, you know, I, again, the false tolerance here is important to keep track of. And I really like this thing where I I have my baseline. You know, on any average day where I have one user or ten users, I have this many exceptions that are non-critical. You know, they are errors or warnings or exceptions happening in either one of our components or usually a third-party component we're using or something like this, which is expected for now. We might be able to fix it when the vendor ships a, a new update. Nothing we can do about it today. And it's not critical. It doesn't stop the application from working. Now, running these load tests, if that number goes exponentially higher, there is probably something you need to take a look at. And it's better to do that during load testing than it is to testing production when the peak hour actually happens. And you have that surge of thousand users coming to your web app and saying, now I want to shop or now I want to do whatever it is that your web application does. And then you're dropping half of the sessions or you're not getting the data that you expect. So, so all of these things are super critical. So those would be the what's and the why of Azure load testing for me. Do you have any thoughts on, on your side for, for using this? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the tooling now and, and sort of when, when to use what in the sense that 
You mentioned Chaos Engineering Studio, and we did talk about that in episode 108. I think it was in preview then. And my understanding is that for Chaos Engineering, you would perhaps run that on a, on a monthly or bi-monthly basis. You would have the team sit down and let's try this now to see how things break. So, so that's, that's more of a, a designed and planned activity. Then uh, you mentioned also application insights, which is obviously super useful. And my understanding is that you often run that on a 24-7 basis. You want to get the telemetry and insights at all times. And now we have load testing. So assuming that I would start using the Azure load testing service now, even in preview, would I then run this during every build or every release that I plan on doing? Or is this something you would see as, as a side-by-side -side tooling with the chaos engineering that we schedule a monthly uh, session where we do the load testing and, and then with the team, we'd go through all of the results and then make decisions if we need to fix something. Yeah, that, that's a good question. And I, I would say both options are valid. I, I would say load testing is something you perform a lot more regular. The, the chaos engineering concept and the chaos studio is good in the way that you can inject faults into the services and you might be able to use them in conjunction. So you first trigger something with chaos studio saying, you know what, inject some server faults or inject some networking issues and then uh, send the traffic with the load testing service over to see what happens. Then you might, you know, then you will get your exponential exception rates for sure. So the, and then there's also a difference of course, in, in what you test. So with the chaos studio, you test by injecting faults to the network or to a specific service. And you you tell a service, this service or this VM should break or uh, the time should change on this VM or the this process should stop on the VM. But there's also a limit to what kind of resources you can use. Whereas with the uh, the load testing, you just run a JMeter file. And, you, and that means if it's an API, if it's a web app, you know, it doesn't matter. As long as it's accessible, you can record a test for it. So it's also a, a little bit different what you test not just when you run it. So it's it's a very good question. And I think, just like you say, you have the structured approach uh, for unstructured uh, experiments, which is chaos with Chaos Studio. And then you have load testing, which for me, I will run uh, every time we merge something into our integration branch or every time we merge something to the main branch, which is going into a release, I want to you know run a baseline of performance tests. And performance tests, when we say that is is more like for load testing, it's not just how many milliseconds did it take, but it's also you can measure the error rate. Do you get more than two percent exceptions, or five percent, or a hundred percent, or whatever you want to put? So you can measure a lot of things. So it's not just like the actual performance, but it's also what happens during load. Will you get this exponential increase in exceptions? Will you get all of these things? And you can put that down as percentages and say. I expect never expect more than 10% of requests to have any exceptions, and I expect every request to be less than 50 milliseconds and whatever metrics you want to put down. And the benefit of doing that and then integrating this to every time you merge a PR back into your main branch is it can just go off automatically and say, run the test because the test is already recorded. We'll talk about how to do that in a bit. So the test is already recorded. You know, log into my app, perform this action, add something to the cart, or download this thing and click here and send a report, sign out, you know, whatever whatever you want to do, uh, or or 
filter some data in a table, something that might be a bit more expensive, filter, order by, get some unique data, you know, update something in the table, something that, you know, really requires some hands-on. And then you can start seeing what happens and you don't then don't need to have your testing team every day go in and, and test the same thing. You can just pre-record it just like a, an automated UI test, which we also have a lot of. But the outcome of this is not to ensure that you could click the button. The outcome of this is to ensure nothing un unexpected happens when 100 users click the button at the same time. So I, I really like that. And setting this up is super trivial. I, I actually did that only yesterday. So there's a new resource in Azure. If you go to, to your Azure portal and you say create a new resource, there is Azure load testing service. Uh, and here you will upload your test files, which I will explain what that is in a bit, and then configure and run. So then you can configure a bunch of different things. And yeah, and that's pretty pretty much it. Now, when I say configure things, it's things like if you have secrets, if you have variables that needs to be plugged into the, to the script that's running. And when I say script that's running, all the tests that you run with, uh, with Azure load testing services based on Apache JMeter. So that's based on Java, which means unfortunately you need to plug in Java to the device uh, where you're going to record your tests. So I, I usually don't have Java installed on my Windows machines because yeah, every now and then quite often actually you get notices about Java version, whatever contains vulnerabilities, you shouldn't use it, you should update and whatever. So for, for me, I try to stay away from Java. I don't really have any applications requiring that except now for JMeter. So I run that inside of a VM. So when you say Java, I take that you mean Java runtime, not JDK, the Java development kit. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When you have that JMeter um, installed, Apache JMeter, you can just, uh, I will, we'll put the link in the show note for how to set up and run or create uh, one of these tests. It's super easy. I did it uh, this morning. Then you can go in and say, well, go to my website or go to my API, send this request. And then if you need to pass environment variables, you can do that. You can configure that in the Azure portal when you set up or configure your test. You can also pass in secrets from a key vault. And you can do this by connecting your Azure load testing service with a system managed identity. And when you have a system managed identity, you can grant that identity access to a key vault. And then when you execute the test, you can say, get this key from that key vault. And then inherently this service already have access to that key or to that key vault to get that key, which is a very nice way to avoid any type of credentials, tokens, API keys, username, passwords, anything like that. And that might be sensitive in the actual test files. And it's also not in configuration files, right? So all of this can be managed entirely passwordless or tokenless, if you will, put all those things into a central place in your Azure key vault. And the Azure Key Vault could be dedicated to your load testing service, or it could be dedicated to a staging environment or testing environment that you have if that's where you're, you're going to need to pull the data from. So, um, so I really like that. And then you just go and record the, the steps in the Apache JMeter thing and say, go to this page, expect this, or call this API, expect a 202 OK or 200 OK or 202 accepted or try to hit a, a page or an API endpoint that does not exist, and then say, I will assert that I expect a 404 not found result code and things like that, just like you do in any type of testing, really. And 
Then you build this up with the Apache J meter thing and you save it, you get the, uh, the file. And this file is what you then upload to Azure uh, load testing services. So when you do that in the UI, you can just then say, well, simulate with one instance or one machine, you know, pass this variable or connect this key vault and use these keys uh, to send them into the, to the script. And then inside of the script, of course, if you use specific secrets, you have to use, you have to get them using the get secret function inside of Apache JMeter. But again, that's something outside of the story we're talking about now. When you get to the point that you want to set this up, um, use the link that we put in the show note or just Google for Apache JMeter testing uh, or uh, step recorder or test record, and you will get all the details you need for doing that. So that's, it's pretty simple actually to get this up. And the real power comes in because everything I just said now, how, how to set this up, it's just like a Selenium test, right? If you use Selenium for web UI testing or something else for that matter that is similar to, uh, to UI testing, that's pretty much what this sounds like, right? You know, automated testing. What's good with this setup though is then inside of the service in Azure, you can say, well, now I want to upscale or I want to test this or I want to schedule it or I want to hook it to my CI CD. But the real power comes in when you connect to a source of metric for your backend services. So imagine you're load testing your web application, which perhaps have three instances and there's a load balancer and maybe the Azure front door and whatever. And you, you hit the URL and you expect a certain result, specific uh, response code, uh, specific replies. If you go to a non-existing page and you expect that certain pages always exist and Response times should always be lower than 250 milliseconds, even if you have a thousand users, you know, all of these things. But the real power here is when you connect this now to the application insights resource, which is tied to your web app, and you connect it to the metrics of your web app, you connect it to the metrics of your storage accounts, and you connect it to the metrics of your Kubernetes clusters and whatever components you have in Azure, you can now connect the Azure load testing service to those. So you will get the metrics automatically pulled out for the time window that your test is executing and presented to you on a dashboard. And this is not possible with a third-party component or third-party services. This is one of the main challenges that I had when using one of the third-party uh, parties that I mentioned previously that we had to rely on that because nothing existed in Azure. Then we ran the performance tests and we had to then set up specific queries to say, when the test started, when the test ended, find exceptions in App Insights or find, and find anomalies inside there. And then we had to go to the storage accounts and say, for all the storage accounts we have, see what happened during that specific time frame. And this was exhausting. You know, It took a lot of time to try and figure that out or correlate all these things. That's built in. You should just say, hey, connect this thing to that thing, done. And then you can configure the metrics. So you can say, from the storage account, expect this. From this thing, expect this. You know, so you can say thresholds or don't expect uh, latency to be more than X or whatever it is that you need to measure. And now that's built in. And this is the where the real magic happens. So I already have at least five use cases where I will use this in production for our workloads. Uh, maybe not running the test in production initially, but uh, you know, for our real production workloads, we need this. So this is actually super cool. So this helps you understand if any exceptions and, and anomalies happen during the execution of the actual load testing. And it will help you not just tell you that, oh, the application responded with a 404 or a server 500, 
okay, that's great, but it doesn't tell you anything. But if you get a server 500, you know, the entire web app crashed. And at the same time, you can see that in the storage account, you get faults or from App Insights, you get exceptions back that you did not expect. And then you can see, okay, this is probably because of that reason, we could not handle the load because we did not do this. So I love this already. I took it for a spin. I have used it for a couple of tests initially now to try you know, try out all the features I, I just talked about. Super cool. But now I'm gonna put this into uh, into production workflows as soon as I'm back from the holidays. And it's super easy. You know, it take, takes a few hours to do everything that you need. Then where the real-time investment comes in is to actually record proper Apache JMeter tests because these will need to be for any given scenario because I've done this many times in the past with different tools. For example, one of our apps re requires you to authenticate using Azure B2C with a username and password or with your work account, your Microsoft account. And in doing so, it will redirect you to a bunch of different URLs. You know, it's doing the full authentication loop hoop and it's jumping to uh, the different auth endpoints. Then you need to make sure that your script understands. You know, if you go to mywebapp.com, sign in, you know, it's not going to stay on your web app. It's going to go to a Microsoft endpoint for authentication. Then it's going to hit the consent flow. Then it's going to show your consent dialog. Then you need to accept the consent dialog. Then you need to come back and then you need to come to the reply URL. And then you can continue the flow. And all of those things also need to be recorded and, and part of the, the test, right? So there, there is a challenge, of course, with getting those things up and running initially. But I mean, if I could figure it out, anyone can figure it out, I'm pretty sure. So just something to be aware of that, you know, setting this up, super easy. But for running proper tests with authenticated users and, you know, in very specific situations or scenarios, it might require some extra effort to, to go into that. So really uh, I, cool. I think I think we talked about um, an open source tool called Playwright, perhaps 25 episodes ago or so, and and that's that's a library and a set of tools for using uh, usability testing that you could then automate and perhaps run in an Azure function. And one of the challenges in there is is that in order to create those test files, you really had to tweak the browser and, and click carefully on the on the different elements on a web page, then record those and tweak the script a little bit. What's your experience now uh, with JMeter? When you're creating the, the test file or the set of tests, is it more like that it's emulating a browser and gives you a graphical interface? Okay, just click through and it's recording those actions. Or is it more about creating this semi-script where you say, find this button with that ID of X on the page and, and, and do this task. And let's assume we are getting HTTP 200 back. Would you, would you say that's where the learning curve happens? Because to me, it seems like setting up the service is trivial, but perhaps the challenge here is, is actually creating those JMeter files. It, it is uh, 100%. Uh, setting this service up, super easy. If you already have JMeter tests, you will be up and running in 30 minutes, right? From from nothing to testing it out to uh, running with virtual users and, and hitting the application. If you don't already have those, yes, this is where the heavy work happens. Um, and, and that's what I mentioned with, you know, you, you might set this up quickly, but to really test the workflows you have, you really need to take care to ensure that your JMeter tests are 
uh, being able to handle the workflows that you desire in your applications. And uh, this can be tricky. You know, it it does have this the thing you mentioned, like if you hit this page, expect that you see this headline or or this HTML tag or you know something like that, or that you get this result code. Um, I think I've seen people use recorders in just like Selenium has, where you can say record the steps I'm doing now, click this button, click this whatever, and then you can assert when you click this button, ensure that this is what you see in the page, that you see this headline. When you click this button, ensure that this is what you see. And so I did that now when I tested, uh, just using scripting. So inside of Apache J Meter, you can say go to this page and then assert that you know the the page contains this. Then go here and assert that the page contains that. And then go to a page that does not exist and expect a result code 404. So all of those things were pretty trivial. But again, for any more advanced scenarios, then yeah, you you have to spend time in taking care of that that these tests work. The beauty, though, is you don't have to test it in the Azure load testing uh, service. You can just spin up Apache JMeter and then do it, which means you can hand it over to uh, the engineers, to the developers, to your QA team, you know, depending on who in your organization is in charge of setting up the tests. For us, uh, it's usually our QA team or a combination of our QA team and devs or engineers where we can hand over from like the, the operation side, we can also hand over to the teams and say, hey, we need to test these things and you built the application and you know exactly how the headers work and you know what to expect and when to expect it to work and not work. And then the QA team will come in with all the criteria. It's like, just like you go into a bar and you've heard this joke probably a thousand times, a QA engineer walks into a bar and he orders a beer, a, a chair, a house, a mouse mat, you know, you're not supposed to do that, right? You're supposed to go into the bar and get a beer or a drink. And then you drink it, you pay, you leave. But a QA engineer goes into the bar and says, I'm going to disable your bar. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to smash your bar. I will set your bar on fire. And then I will order a beer. And then I expect the outcome to be that I have a beer. And then the house will burn down. And then this and that. You know, there's, when you ask a developer to test their own tool or, or their own application, they will test it, you know, whether that being a decision or not or, or something they're aware of or not. They will test, you know, how they expect it to work most of the time, and maybe with a few exceptions. Like if I click this button, it's not supposed to work. But our QA team really does not care how it's supposed to work because they don't know. They just go in and they hammer it. And they're they're clicking all the things and they're they're trying to do all the things and they're opening the dev tools and saying, well, what if I inject a, a new header here? You know, the entire application might go down and it's not supposed to do that. So a combination of your QA engineers and your and your uh, dev engineers might be a good fit for creating these. But again, this is super individual to each organization and, and how you work. This is how we work and it, it works pretty well. So, Okay. And if somebody listening on this is still using those Visual Studio 2017, 2019 based load tests, did you have a chance to see if there's any migration path or is it simply that you discard all of the previous tests that you've created and then you create the JMeter files from scratch? Good question. I'm not sure if there's any migration path from those because Microsoft did deprecate and, and announced the deprecation, I'm not sure, maybe two years ago. It's, it's, yeah. it's quite some time ago now. So we dropped the ball on that a long time ago and moved, moved on with the third-party tools and we just set it up, ground up with new tests. So we're going to have to do that again. 
The beauty of it, of course, is we know our application. We know what we want to test because we have these QA engineers really hammering it. So they already kind of defined what we want to test, you know, both expected and unexpected tests and, you know, exploratory tests. So it's it's all about getting the actual tests now recorded or, or scripted again. But I don't know if there is any like migration path from the old tooling to, to this. For, for us, we don't have 60,000 tests, right? So we can do this manually. And I prefer to do it manually because now we can really make sure that we tailor it to the experience that we expect also coming as an outcome from the actual load testing studio. So as a sort of summary, before we, we get to the cost bit here, I'm, I'm now seeing that we need three types of tests. We need the JMeter test files for, for Azure load testing service. Then we need the availability tests in App Insights to ping whatever service or endpoint you have to see if it's up and running still. And perhaps that happens every two minutes or so. And then we need the usability tests, something to test that a specific path works after after you've upgraded some bits in your system. So, so what does it cost to run Azure Load Testing Service? So the, the service is still in a preview, right? Uh, but the pricing page has been listed and prices are listed for several regions, not for all of them. So I assume that the prices here will now stick because there's no preview mentioned on the pricing page. So it's 10 US dollars or about nine euros per month for the actual service, which is negligible given what you get. You know, for context, what, what I paid for one of the third-party load testing services, the, the flat fee was uh, $199 or $299 a month just to be able to use it. And then you had to pay extra for the virtual users and virtual minutes. So $10 or nine euros, it's nothing. Really, it's nothing compared to, to what you have to pay for other load testing services. Now, it also includes 50 virtual user hours per month. And uh, you know, a, a virtual user hour, it's every time you run a test, it's gonna calculate how long did the test run per user. So if you have 50 users uh, and it runs for one minute, well, that's 50 minutes, right? So it's gonna calculate how much time you spend. So if, if you simulate 1000 users and, and you know, for whatever reason you, you want to do that and the test runs for one minute, well, that's a thousand minutes. Then you need to see, does a thousand minutes fit into 50 virtual user hours? So within in 50 hours, if not, then you have to start pay. So what it includes for the $10 or nine euros per month is these 50 virtual user hours per month and then for additional virtual user hours, you have to cost and there or have to pay for that. And there is up to 9,950 hours, which means that you know the 50 that you get included plus these, that's for 10,000 hours uh, or up to 10,000 hours, you pay 15 cents on the dollar or 13 cents on the euro per hour uh, or per, per virtual user hour. If you're above 10,000 hours, the price uh, significantly drops. So anything above uh, 9,950 hours or than 10,000 total uh, will cost you 0.075 US dollars or 0.067 euros per hour. So you know the price do drop. And for someone listening in, they might think, well, why would you need to test 10,000 hours per month? And that's not really, you're not testing this in a linear calendar month, right? If you have 100 users 
running the same test at the same time and they're executing for 10 minutes, that's going to be 100 times 10. So that's 1,000 minutes you just ran in 10 minutes, right? So you can exhaust these resources fairly quickly depending on how you design your test and how many users you want to plug into that. So one thing that I always do is I have two set of tests. I have one more long running test where I perhaps scale up to 10 users, 50 users, something like this. And this might happen over 30 minutes to an hour. So it's still going to cost me quite a few hours, um, but it's a more long running load. And then you have the burst, like now we're going to get a lot of traffic, but then I usually tie this down to three minutes or two minutes or even one minute and say for the next three minutes, we're going to get 200 users. And these 200 users are going to hammer the system like this. And then you can measure what happens, but then immediately you'll kill it. Because usually when you do this, you'll already get a long list of exceptions happening, and then you can start taking action. And instead of just wasting resources and money by running a longer test, fix the things that you just found, which, you know, obviously you organize by the most critical first, fix them, and then you can rerun the test. And hopefully you're not going to get the same amount of exceptions. So, so that's what the pricing looks like. 50 virtual user hours included for the, for the $10 or 9 euros. Anything less than 10,000 hours, then you have to pay uh, pay for, and then you pay a little bit less for anything above 10,000. Makes, makes sense. And I, I like the model that it's it's clean enough. And, and perhaps to factor in here is that obviously you pay for the Azure load testing service, but then if you have, let's put an example that you have auto scale on for your web apps, and they, they start scaling up. So, so there's additional cost happening for all of your services that are now servicing your load testing, perhaps in a test environment. So, so that might be more challenging to factor in what the exact cost is going to be, but at least you can estimate a ballpark figure that it, 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 it might be this or it might be that, depending on what sort of a test we do. One last question though, on, on running the tests, because when I used to use the, the Visual Studio-based tests that you would then upload to Application Insights and, and you could execute those in there, you had the option to run a mixed test. So you could have five different test files and you would say, I want five virtual users running this test, 10 virtual users running that test, and that's my mixed load of, of different user profiles. So would that happen in Azure load testing that I would have perhaps five JMeter files and I would run those at the same time, and that would be my mixed approach. That's a good question. So what I did was I, I just had one test file, but within the test file, I can configure a lot of these, uh, okay. a lot of these things. Let me actually take a look because uh, I'm I'm in here right now. So I'm going to create a test test plan. Choose files. Yeah, so you can upload multiple files by the looks of it. So that should be possible. And I'm, I'm trying this as we speak. So this is really, I hope the demo devil is not there at the moment. <laughs> because what I'm thinking is that you could have one JMeter file where the task is that the user logs in, searches for a product, adds that to the shopping cart, and then completes the transaction. And then you would yep. have another JMeter file where, where a user is just doing furious searches, nothing else. And then having a mix of those would perhaps reveal something in your search backend or your shopping cart logic to see how yep. they react with the different user loads. 
So I, I just tried this and you can only have one JMX file. So you can only upload one JMeteor file. Um, okay. So then to support this scenario, you can either create multiple tests. So for, for every, in Azure load testing uh, service, you can create multiple tests and, and then each of them can be tied to a specific JMeter profile or inside of your JMeter files, you can of course have all these scenarios set up. So whenever you run the JMeter test, it's gonna run all those things. But if okay. you want them more independently configurable, then maybe multiple tests make sense. So I, I see scenarios for both ways, yeah. like having one big test file that accepts parameters for how it should behave and also multiple tests, depending on what I need to test, of course. And, and if that test needs to be integrated with other services to pull out metrics. For example, some of the things I test might not need to pull out the metrics from App Inside or, or other metrics. I just need to hammer it and make sure that it doesn't crash. And then for other tests, I need all the data. And then I would probably have two different test plans for that. Uh, okay. So that's a good question. Uh, definitely something for, for anyone tuning in to think about how you would like to structure that uh, when setting it up. Okay, makes, makes sense. I, I need to do load testing less than I needed to do 10 or 15 years ago. Perhaps in on-premises, that was more critical at the time for, for a lot of things. But I do see the value in this. So this is definitely also something to put on my, my list of things to test. This was this was fun. The, the, the service looks super useful. And we still have the last thing, the unexpected question. And based on, 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 on my bookkeeping, Toby, it's your turn to ask me. Okay. So I, I have one question from the top of my mind, and, and this is heavily debated within my team. Um, and, and I know how I persist this answer, and I'm, I also know Italians might hate me for it. How do you feel about putting pineapple on a pizza? Motivate. Oh, this is uh, an interesting <laughs> one. <laughs> Normally, I do not like it. I love pineapple because it's fresh. It needs to be a little bit of cold and, and you can just, just consume chunks of it. But when you put pineapple on top of the pizza, it, it becomes warm and, and somehow slightly disgusting at the same time. But there's, <laughs> there's a slight configuration option here that you can utilize. One is that it depends if you put the pineapple with the other ingredients and then you put the cheese on top, or if you put the pineapple as the last one, so the cheese is below the pineapple. And this latter option is what I feel is, is an acceptable approach. But if the pineapple is sort of hidden underneath the cheese, then it's a, it's a yucky surprise when you're enjoying your pizza. So in a way, I dislike the option, but there's this additional option that you can utilize to make it acceptable. Yeah, okay, that's a fair answer. Yeah, we, we debate this a lot in our team. And obviously I'm pro pineapple on the pizza. And I, I'm also one of those who, uh, when I make my own pizza or I go to the pizza place here, they have something called like a Tropicana or a tropical pizza, yeah. whatever. They put pineapple, bananas, curry, yeah. peanuts, all kinds of stuff on there. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> you know, and nobody else likes it, but I love it. So, yeah, but it's a good question. Uh, I don't usually tell people they're wrong, but when they say pineapple does not belong on a pizza, they're wrong. Okay. Okay. Makes makes sense. I, I need to travel to Sweden someday to try these more exotic pizza versions that you have over there. <laughs>
for sure. Alrighty, this this was fun. This was educating. This was actually load testing. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you join us next week. All right, see you then. Thank you for tuning in to the Control Alt Azure podcast. Find out more and read the show notes on controlaltazure.com. Stay tuned.